Hey, welcome back to the Bloodthirsty Pugs podcast. This is episode nine. Thanks for sticking with us, people. So today we have Taylor Rice back to tell more of her story. So this episode is titled Taylor's Story Part 2. So if you're not caught up yet, you can go back to a previous episode, find Taylor's Story Part 1, listen to that thing, and then come over here to hear the second part. And guess what, folks? There's going to be a part three. The story is pretty interesting, so stick around. So, we're back for part two of your story. You ready for this? I am. Okay. So, for anybody who hasn't listened to part one, you should definitely go on and listen to it. I titled the episode Taylor's Story Part One. Super dramatic. Um, so, this one will probably be just called Taylor's Story Part Two. So, the last thing we talked about, we talked about kind of your childhood and what you saw with your parents growing up and everything. And the last thing we talked about is your dad passed away by committing suicide basically right yep that's correct all right and how old were you with when that happened 15 all right so like the crazy years of every person's life Mm -hmm. and then you go through probably the worst thing imaginable so what happened from there (laughs) well i don't even know kind of how to try to explain like that initial first week after my father passed away it was difficult and you know because for those who have listened to the first episode I had already learned three or four years prior to kind of shove down feelings and put on a strong face and carry on so I mean my mom sat my brother and I down the morning that my dad passed and told us what happened And I remember just sitting in the kitchen. We all sat down at the kitchen table. And she said to us, Dad's dead. He killed himself last night. And I just kind of was looking at the floor the whole time. And I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And after a minute, I just walked outside and called my best friend at the time. And I spent three or four days with her. And then my dad's memorial service happened. And... That was weird. So you went and stayed with your friend for four days? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it happened, well, it was a Monday when my dad passed away. So on Friday was his memorial service. We didn't do like a funeral or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of, he was an iron worker. So at the iron workers hall is where we held the memorial service for him. Mm -hmm. So it was open to the public and a lot of people came and... It was weird and interesting, but yeah, I just chose kind of subconsciously to not cope. I just didn't, I mean, it registered in my head. I knew what had happened and what was going on, but I don't think I really processed it. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I didn't process it. When you were with, at your friend's house, did you like cry a lot and talk about it a lot or did you just try to like avoid it? None of that. I actually did not cry about my father's passing until well over a month after it happened. Wow. I, my mom and my brother spent a lot of time with my mom's best friend from high school, who is the godfather of my brother and I. So, I mean, I was always invited to go as well, but I chose to stay home and be by myself. And I would, you know, just like listen to music and hang out in my room and talk to friends on MySpace, which was cool at the time. Mm. (laughs) 
And it just, I remember it just hit me one night and I just cried and cried. I just lost it. I just felt so alone and so betrayed. Wow. I cannot imagine. Mm. <laughs> so do you crying and going through all that, I mean, do you feel like you processed it then or no. started to, or you just kind of let yourself feel emotions at that point, but still didn't I wanna... think at that point I had allowed myself to accept the initial shock of what had happened. I know now looking back that I definitely didn't process anything. I didn't accept anything, but I just kind of with just the knowledge that I had and knowing what had happened and the loss that I was suffering, I cried for that. Mm -hmm. But all of the feelings behind it, like things like betrayal and why, I didn't question it. But I did finally actually cry at just the loss of my father okay so then how did you uh how did how did things progress so how, how did you handle um dealing with this on top of everything beforehand i mean now you're going into your you're in your teenage years well prior to that was my freshman year of high school which was already difficult for those who listened to episode one um, and then I was a cheerleader on the varsity team. I had all these extracurriculars, but I also was dabbling in using marijuana. I had a lot going on. So I came back sophomore year as a full-blown emo kid. <laughs> and for those of us in our generation, we all know what that means. Hey, real With quick, just to, just to back up because I find this funny. So you were saying like you had a lot going on as a freshman because mm -hmm. you're like, I'm a cheerleader. I got this going on. I'm dabbling in marijuana. Mm -hmm. Like you treated it as like, <laughs> like it's one of your hobbies, like one of your practice, you like <laughs> marijuana practice three days a week or something. No. I thought that was funny. No, it was just like <laughs> one time my freshman year. <laughs> but you know, like my freshman year, my grandmother passed. And then exactly seven months later, right at the end of my freshman year is when my father passed. Mm -hmm. And I just had all of this stuff going on mentally and I'm, trying to you know as any teenager does trying to figure out who I am and all of that yeah so going into my sophomore year I come back to school full-blown emo kid like the skinny jeans with like the big DC shoes and the band t-shirts and those <laughs> studded belts and have my hair weird colors and wear a lot of eyeliner and a lot of I mean I grew up in a small town so pretty much everybody knew what had happened yep and so I come back to school like completely 180 from what I was and people are looking at me like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then everybody's got their, you know, oh, she's wearing black now. So mm -hmm. she must be. Everybody has a, their opinions. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. I did the same thing. My, my phase, I didn't know how to be cool though. So <laughs> like my emo phase was, I just started wearing black. So it was just like black khakis. And but like see, I was never exactly <laughs> a cool kid in school. Like, I was friends with a lot of the popular students, and I had long-going friendships and relationships with the popular students, but I also was very integrated with the quote-unquote weirdos. Right. I was kind of like a chameleon. I didn't really have a place or a group where I was fully comfortable or that I was really fully committed to. Because, like, different people understood different things. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was 
a part of different friend groups. So that's kind of good and bad because, like, you kind of – you sort of get along with everybody. Like, you know, you kind of fit in with everybody, but you don't deeply belong mm-hmm. in any one spot. So yeah, I never feel. really felt truly accepted or loved by a friend group. Like, I knew I had people I could kind of rely on, but I didn't really feel as if I had friends that were, like, deep down, ride or die, no matter what I do, what I say, we're in it to win it Mm -hmm. type of people. But I had, you know, like, 20 people I was friends with. But it was not quite surface. It was a little deeper than that, but not quite committed Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so as a full-blown emo kid did you still like work on did you still do well in school I did I did nice um my sophomore year I'm quite sure I still accomplished straight A's and then also a big part of who I am the second half of my sophomore year I got into my first really committed relationship Mm -hmm. so that became a big part of my life He went to my high school. He was a senior at the time. And I don't know if you at your school, you guys had blood drives. Mm -hmm. So I met him at a blood drive when I was a sophomore and he was a senior. And we just ended up kind of BSing a little bit. And he was like, oh, you haven't done this before. And he kind of checking on me and stuff. And Mm -hmm. then we kind of continued to talk and it kind of blossomed from there. And that was, you know, my first I'm so in love. Like, yeah. I'm convinced this is my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to get married and it's going to be perfect type of relationship, which obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. But that's a big part of my high school career or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And so that started to happen. And then that summer is when I got my license. So I did driving school and everything. And then I got my license. And then going into junior year, I did, um, I took on two AP classes, which is advanced placement, which if you, at the end of the year, you take a test, and if you score a certain amount, you get college credit for Mm -hmm. the class. I took a full, regular, junior high school student load, and then AP psychology and AP English, which from the time I was in grade school, I excelled in English and reading. So the English was just already in the bag for me. Like I wanted to be in that class because I wanted to be challenged. Yeah. Did you did you read a lot just for fun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm go. a huge Harry Potter fan. <laughs> oh yeah. I was uh, that girl who started reading the books when I was seven years old, and then as I was growing up, is when the books got released, and I would go to like Barnes and Noble and have had reserved a book in advance and then go there for like the midnight release of the book and wait in line and stuff. Yeah, yeah I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Super nerdy fact about me. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I was always, I've always been very well-spoken growing up and very articulate and quite intelligent, not to toot my own horn, mm-hmm. but. Smart cookie. Yeah. <laughs> a brighter crayon in the box. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're handling it pretty well then. I mean, you come back wearing different clothes, but like you're still doing okay in school and now you're in a relationship Mm -hmm. and you're still kind of friends with everybody. So you're not Mm -hmm. like, you're not like super isolating and like not talking, you know, getting real quiet or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I was handling it because I wasn't. I literally had pushed it to the back of my brain and was not processing any of that. I wasn't 
dealing with it. I wasn't working through it. I just pushed it away. I just didn't want anything to do with it. I just wanted to keep going with my life and be successful and keep being, you know, like an A-plus student. Mm-hmm. Well, where did things go from there then? Well, so. also my junior year, that relationship I spoke of, um, after he graduated, you know, me going into my junior year, he had graduated, mm -hmm. and he went into the Marines. And then my junior year, right around the time I turned 17, he went to boot camp, and then after those three months, he came back and had like a two-week break and proposed to me, and we got engaged. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, <laughs> I thought that was, like, my forever thing. We had it all planned out that he was going to be, you know, a career Marine. And then he was going to use his GI Bill for me to go to college after I finished high school. And the summer after I turned 18, we were going to get married. We had it wow. all planned out. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. Teenagers always got it all figured out. It felt so <laughs> real, though, mm -hmm. you know, especially with him being in the military and having a career and it just you know the first love is always <laughs> super intense and you think it's going to be forever yep and um that kind of carried on through junior year and then the summer before my senior year things with him and I he had like looking back it was a very toxic relationship <laughs> like it was so unhealthy how so just constantly being in contact or constantly being on the phone like we used to fall asleep on the phone together every night and just always talking to each other and if I didn't answer within five or ten minutes he would be like Taylor like WTF like get angry uh, like get like toxic you know like really he so, was kind yeah. of like really possessive maybe is the word yeah lots of insecurity feeling like you always have to be Mm -hmm. Especially because, you know, I lived in Ohio and he was living in North Carolina. Ooh, okay. So there's also the distance factor. Yeah, and with that comes the whole, like, you're always afraid that the other person's going to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. and, and then you hear people say that long-distance relationships never work. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're just always trying to, like, uh, are we still good? Are we still good? Yeah. Are we still good? Yeah, oh, and gosh. at the same time, we're both very, very young. Like, I was a yeah. junior in high school and he was 18, 19 years old. So there's all of the insecurity still that comes with being a teenager and the distance doesn't help. And it was just very unhealthy, even though we were very much in love at the time. It just... With the possessiveness, was there any, like... Um distrust or accusations where mm -hmm. like you're not like you're not allowed to talk to this person yep. or you're not allowed to okay I wasn't allowed to have male friends which at yeah. the time I kind of accepted but looking back I know that's not okay like yep. that's super toxic it's super possessive it's very controlling mm -hmm. but at the time I you know with having very little knowledge of relationships and everything I just kind of accepted it like yep. yeah like this is how it works you know like the male has kind of a more dominant role and calls the shots and I just kind of go with it um quick question mm -hmm. was your mom allowed to have male like friends when you were growing up I honestly don't know to the answer to that um I know that once my mom had gone to school mm -hmm. which was you know mentioned in episode one um she did develop a friendship with a male 
and they did speak a lot and my dad was very angry about it he was not comfortable with it right like they used to argue about that a lot I'm just really interested in this idea and I know it's not always true but like kids the, the idea that kids learn how to date and how to be treated and how to treat others based on what they see from their parents yep. and their relationships. I completely so, agree with that. So you felt like it was normal f- for your boyfriend to like limit who mm-hmm. you're allowed to talk to yep. and who your friends are. Because so, I saw it. I, I was just, yeah, I was curious. Okay. No, I did see it in not, you know, more than one male friend that my mother had, but for one male friend that my mother had, I did see that. Yeah. So I felt like it was normal to just kind of okay, yeah, that's fine, you know, like I'll stop texting with this person or I'll stop, you know, talking to this person. Gotcha. But with the distance, I remember also, well, we were talking about the summer before my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. And then I had gotten a job at the downtown area of the town I grew up in, the pizza place there, which had a couple of girls from the next town over who I had gotten close to and they actually encouraged me to apply to that job and all of that. (laughs) And I remember the one girl, she lived like five minutes away from me. So I used to hang out with her all the time and I was still in that relationship and I was over at her house one night, like all we were doing was sitting in her living room, watching movies and eating snacks and just, Mm -hmm. you know, like BSing. And I hadn't looked at my phone. I wasn't answering my boyfriend at the time, my fiance. And he, when I did pick up my phone, I had like seven missed calls and three texts. And he was so angry. And he was kind of accusatory saying that I was seeing another man. Oh, wow. And it, it, like I said, it got very toxic. Yeah. And then shortly after that is when I started to realize my sexuality which I don't know if you fully understand my sexuality but I do identify as a pansexual which is similar to bisexual but pansexual is like I don't care if you're male female non-binary any Mm -hmm. of that like I love you for who you are not what you look like not what you what your body is like none of that it's just I care I fall in love with who you are as a person Mm -hmm. and that's how I identify. But at that time I was exploring bisexuality and when I told him about it, he got very angry. He was like, what the F Taylor? This is such BS. Like he was very mad at me and that was my first reaction to me coming out to somebody. Yeah. It's just, people being angry at mm-hmm. you which is probably common for i mean i mean i don't want to speak for anybody but it sounds like anytime somebody ha- comes comes out like that's always people mm-hmm. are always angry and yelling at them mm-hmm. and judging them and that's kind of a shame i mean aside from my experience with my ex-fiance i remember within the same time frame i came out to my mom and she was like okay and like <laughs> <laughs> so <Bravo. laughs> like she was like it, it was almost as if she already kind of knew. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, okay, so. That's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. That's what you need from a parent. It, yeah, definitely. And then my younger brother, my sibling, was, you know, like just always, always has been so accepting of me and I feel like has always kind of looked up to me in a way. Mm-hmm. And it was never even a question with my brother. So 
I've been kind of lucky in a sense as far as coming out to people. Yeah, with your family. Yeah, but then going into my senior year, um, the week before I started my senior year of high school, my ex-fiance and I called it quits. We actually broke up. We still kept in contact, but we weren't together. So going into my senior year, I also was in some advanced classes again trying to do my best, but I also was in a program that allowed me to, well, I was in a, what's it called? Where you go to college part of the time. It's like post-secondary. Yep. Post-secondary option. Yep. Um, nine out of 10 times at my school, students who did post-secondary went to Owens Community College, mm-hmm. but I had a good enough GPA to qualify for University of Toledo. Nice. So I took that and um, I, because I was working and I was already taking on such a strong workload in my actual high school, I just took like uh, an astronomy class because I thought it would be kind of something I could breeze through and just kind of enjoy getting off work or getting off school early and being able to work and just kind of do the most while not doing as much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But also going into my senior year and also getting out of a really intense first love relationship I was like well I'm a senior and so I started to you know go to parties and dabble with drinking and really kind of realized I enjoyed going to parties (laughs) so did you do that like at the college or was it like no it was all high school or people I knew from high school I didn't ever at that point party at the college Mm mm-hmm So on weekends, I would go to house parties with my fellow high schoolers and stuff like that. And I remember at one point my mom sitting me down and saying, you know, I don't really care what you do as long as you're staying on top of everything you need to take care of as far as like work and school basically Mm -hmm. is what she meant. But I kind of took that as a free pass (laughs) and got a little bit more out of hand. And the partying got a little bit more excessive. And around Christmas time, my senior year, so about halfway through the year, uh, my three best female friends got together and then contacted my mom. And my mom drove me to school one day instead of me driving. And then it was like an intervention type of thing of my three best female friends and my mom and then the guidance counselor at my high school, and I was just kind of, like, blindsided by, like, this weird intervention. Yeah. (laughs) Like, right before my 18th birthday, because people were afraid that once I turned 18, I was just going to lose my marbles or something. (laughs) Yeah, just emancipate yourself or whatever. Well, you're 18. You don't have to emancipate yourself. You're 18, and then just go. (laughs) And that actually kind of had the opposite effect. I got angry and defensive, and I was like, you guys don't know me. Like, I have it all under control. It's fine. I I have this. It's good. Mm-hmm. But then shortly after I turned 18, which I also left out at this new job at the pizza place, I met a boy who I will not name. I'm trying very hard to not name anybody while I do these episodes. Yeah, you leave names out. <laughs> but, um... You know, we had been talking and hanging out and 
sort of dating, but no commitment, no talk of commitment type of thing yeah. from fall time all the way up through, you know, where we're at right now, like Christmas time. And so I had this weird intervention and my mom kind of locked me down a little bit. And right after New Year's, I I don't really know how to talk about this because it's still kind of hard for me to think about. But the summer before my senior year, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. So I had been prescribed some Percocet, mm-hmm. which I took one of them at the time and it made me sick. So I didn't take them anymore, but they were still in the medicine cabinet at my mom's house. And I was just very overwhelmed and upset one day. And I had already been dabbling with alcohol and stuff. And I just wanted to not be so overwhelmed. So I took several of the leftover Percocet. I wasn't, I was just trying to ease my mind type of thing. Just I was trying just, to escape. Yes. Yeah. But I had unintentionally overdosed myself. I remember I did it in my bedroom at my mom's house and I started to feel a little loopy and that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the point where I couldn't stand up anymore. So I sat down on my bed and I was feeling loopy, but then I couldn't sit up anymore. So I was laying down and I felt kind of loopy, but then it started to get dark. Like my vision just started to darken and I felt nauseous and I started to throw up. So like I said, I was at my mom's house And I picked up my phone and my mom was in the living room and I called her and she was like, why are you calling me if you're here? I was like, mom, like, just please come here. She was like, what's wrong? I was like, just please come here. And she walked in and she was like, what's wrong? And I was so out of it at that point. I just pointed at the pill bottle and she said, oh, baby, no. And she scooped me up into her arms and put me in the car and drove me to the hospital where I had to drink charcoal. Mm Mm-hmm. And then because they thought I was trying to kill myself, they transport or transported me to a different hospital, a bigger hospital, where I was kept in the psych ward ICU unit for a week. And that was kind of my first experience of a quote unquote rehab situation. Mm -hmm. I remember that next day waking up in that ICU unit like, what the hell is going on? I was kind of confused and then as I woke up and realized where I was I started to remember what I did and what had happened like I had images of my head of being in my room and feeling worse and worse and then it's very clear in my mind my mom being so upset as she took me to her car and I have you know like a a flash image in my head of being in the hospital and drinking the charcoal and then I also remember they transported me in an ambulance and I remember being in the ambulance. So from, from your, probably your mom's perspective, the hospital's perspective, everybody else, they think that you tried to kill yourself Mm -hmm. and they also know that that's what happened to your dad. Mm -hmm. And some of them probably know that you haven't really properly dealt with that. Yep. So it seems like maybe everybody around you, including your mom, like, has lots of reasons to believe that you just don't want to be here anymore. So Absolutely. That, and But you're saying that's not what it was. You just were. You I just, just wanted to escape kind of what you I were feeling. I just wanted time. all of the nonsense in my head to stop. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how many people can relate to that. I don't know if even you can relate to that, honestly. But sometimes it's just like the stuff going on in my head is so loud and it's all negative things and I just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And that's why substances come into play because that helps. Okay. And I'm not saying it's okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. But that is the the out I've used for several years. Okay. That's and that's what I was doing at the time. Yeah. I took five Percocet 30s, which is way too much. Probably one would have already did me in mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point. But, I mean, I was 18 years old. I didn't really know about drugs or pills or anything. And I was like, well, I'll just take a small handful and it'll be fine. But it wasn't fine. Well, thank goodness you're still here. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> so this is where things in one way kind of start to get intense because I leave the hospital. I leave the psych ward. My mom, you know, picks me up. But that guy I had met working at the pizza place, we are, you know, sort of in a relationship at that point. Like we're spending a lot of time together. Like it's not committed it is, but it isn't. I don't know. We were mm-hmm. in like that weird gray area. And um, he offered to me while I was in the hospital to live with him. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So my mom picks me up from the hospital and she's trying to talk to me and get through to me. And she wants me to do better and be better. And she wants what's best for me. But I already have it set in my mind like, I'm leaving. I'm doing my own thing. I'm an adult now. And that day that I left the hospital and moved out of my mom's house, I bought, (laughs) I bought (laughs) a carton of cigarettes, a few bottles of alcohol, and several grams of cocaine as I moved into that guy's house and we threw a house party. How did you, did you just already know people who like Mm -hmm. sold cocaine? Yeah, the guy who I was, I guess we'll say we were in a relationship. Mm-hmm. He knew people. Gotcha. So I bought a bunch of stuff and we just had a huge party. Like it sounds kind of sick now, but celebrating me getting out of the hospital. So, yeah. <laughs> so like you, you threw a party with tons of crazy chemicals, mm-hmm. dangerous chemicals to celebrate you getting out of the hospital for using too many bad chemicals. Exactly. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. It's 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 terrible. Looking back, I cannot believe some of the deci- decisions I've made. Mm-hmm. And um, so after that, I'm st- well. After I had been, I okay. So I'm 18 at this point, and so I leave my mom's house. I'm now living with this guy I'm dating, and I am only going to high. I'm still in high school. Also, by the way, I'm a senior in high <laughs> school, <laughs> and. I get to the point where I only go two to three days a week. I know that I never went Mondays and I never went Fridays. And everything in between was kind of hit and miss depending on what I did the night before or how I was feeling when I woke up in the morning. I usually went to high school two, maybe three days a week. I honestly don't even understand how they graduated me. (laughs) Because that's like some hardcore truancy we're talking about. But I made it happen and I, you know, had built up such a good repertoire for myself of being a good student and being 
in like the top 10 of my class and taking all these advanced classes that they and then you know on top of them knowing about my family situation and what happened with my father maybe they were like trying to cut me a break I don't really know how that all worked out but it did thank goodness did you ever have like teachers come to you your senior year and say or principals even like Hey, we're worried about you. Yes. Like things are okay. Yes. That's good. Cause that I did happen. Cause I, as a teacher myself, like <clears throat> when you know a student has, they've been getting straight A's all this time. They've mm-hmm. been doing AP classes. Then all of a sudden they're not showing up on Mondays and Fridays and all this stuff. Like we would be have meetings, like we'd have a weekly meeting and we'd have all kinds there of stuff. There was actually up. an incident probably in February of my senior year where my principal and my vice principal So my vice principal was the principal of my middle school. And then with my class, moved up to the high school as vice principal. And I had been, you know, we like him and I were very close and buddy, buddy. And then so in turn, when I was a freshman, the high school principal, you know, I also became kind of friends with him. And then I got close to several teachers And it was kind of a weird thing the February of my senior year where like four or five of my teachers and both of the principals kind of hunted me down while I was actually in the building for once Mm -hmm. (laughs) and sat me down and were just trying to talk to me and figure out what was going on. Like they genuinely had care and concern and were trying to help me, but I was, you know, just kind of pissed off about the whole thing and didn't want to do it. So I did it. I did not appreciate or accept the help that was being offered to me at the time. Is there anything they could have done different that you would have accepted? I don't think so because they did handle it very well. They weren't aggressive. They weren't angry, you know, like I was just a very angry and hurt teenager. Well, young adult, I guess at that point. I, I just thought I knew everything yeah <laughs> I mean especially when you turn 18 you're like teenagers I'm a grown-up now yeah, <laughs> like teenagers already kind of feel like they know everything and then when you have that I'm officially an adult I could buy cigarettes mm-hmm. now like you just kind of feel like I'm gonna move out I'm gonna do yep. my own thing and, and that's pretty much what I did but because I had gone so downhill so quickly mm-hmm. but I am intelligent and I am a good person there were a lot of people who cared about me in my high school community like teacher wise and Mm -hmm. students and stuff like that I just denied it all I didn't I wanted nothing to do with being helped I thought that I was you know like every tea you know like every young adult parties every young adult experiments with drugs and alcohol like uh, what I'm doing is fine why are you guys mad at me yeah that's kind of how I felt But looking back, I know that's not what normal people do. That's not how people normally grow up. Yeah. And then, how are we on time? We're good. We still have probably 10 more minutes, 10 to 15 more minutes. (laughs) So going back to that guy I was dating and who I moved in with, he moved down to Panama City Beach, Florida, and invited me to come with him. But I had things to work out with my high school and finishing high school and graduating and everything and then my job so he left and then probably two or three weeks after that I followed him down and I 
literally transferred the one credit I needed to graduate. I gave up all the other stuff I was doing, all my other classes, all my other mm. college opportunities for that half credit of English 12 I needed. And I bought a laptop and had the program installed on a laptop to take with me to, you know, be able to quote unquote graduate. Right. So I could move down to Florida with this guy. <laughs> and this is where it starts to get kind of dark. As if it wasn't already kind of dark before say, now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I get down there and it's all fine and dandy for probably a couple weeks. And so I get a job and I start to work. And at this job, I make a friend who was a male. But my partner was not pleased that I made friend with a male, made friends with a male. A little bit and, of a pattern going here now. Well, <laughs> you don't even want to know where this relationship goes because it gets really messed up. Mm -hmm. And he got very, very angry and super jealous and super possessive. And it's kind of like the classic abusive relationship thing where they kind of cut off your friends and then they isolate you. Yeah. Where in this situation for me, I was in Florida. I moved from Ohio to Florida to be with him. So you're already so isolated. I'm very, very isolated. Yep. And I moved to Panama City Beach, which is like the spring break capital of the country or even the world. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. At the time, I think it might have been the world. So it's a big city. I'm already like super way out of place, you know, growing up in a very small town and then getting on an airplane and then coming into this city with all these buildings and mm -hmm. all these people. And it's very intimidating and uncomfortable. And so, you know, I get this job and the first coworker I befriend is a male. I've always made friends with males far easily, far yeah. more easily than females. I don't know what it is. And my partner was angry and he was convinced basically that I was cheating on him. And I remember that we were fighting about it and he physically removed me from the apartment and then was throwing like my clothes out the door into the yard it's the middle of the afternoon and he's throwing all of my clothes and all of my belongings just out into the yard just haphazardly throwing everything out saying f, f you you stupid bitch uh, yeah. all this stuff and i was devastated and he had taken my phone and factory reset it so i mean i had my phone but I couldn't call anybody. I couldn't call my mom. I couldn't call a friend. I was helpless. So that's, and I know you probably already know this, but that's like, um, at, I think at school we've talked about, yeah, we've talked about this because we talked to kids about this, like um, abusive, toxic, mm -hmm. rela toxic, toxic relationships. It's all about isolating that mm -hmm. person. And like one Isolation of the final, is the key. Yeah. And one of the final nails in that coffin is when you take the phone. I mean, mm -hmm. already you're in another city, you're in another state across the nation, mm -hmm. coming from Ohio to Florida. The only thing you have now is to be able to call your mom. And now mm -hmm. you can't even do that. He factory reset your phone. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. I mean, the only number I could call on my phone is 911. And what am I supposed to tell 911? Oh, my boyfriend kicked me out. What yeah. are they going to do? They're not going to help me. But thankfully, and, and also, I might add, he took my wallet and took my debit card and all of my cash out of my wallet. So I literally had nothing. So he robbed you too. Yes. Isolated you and yes. he robbed you. Yes. Because he thought that you were cheating on him. And I wasn't. Because he's an insecure little person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I was so 
scared at that point. I felt so scared and so alone as I'm sure any person in that situation would feel. Mm-hmm. And thankfully enough, another coworker of mine happened to be coming by dropping off a bag of weed <laughs> and he saw me, you know, kind of sitting on my suitcase and being upset. And he was like, Hey, like, are you okay? And he lived with the coworker who I was cheating on my boyfriend with. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, this is what's happening. He's like, do you want me, do you want to come with me? And you know, like you can stay with us. It's fine. So I did that. And at that point I did start to get a little bit relationship-ish with the coworker who my partner thought I was cheating on him with. Yeah, because your partner just threw you out, mm-hmm. stole your money, did reset mm-hmm. your phone, and mm-hmm. so now you're like, oh, here's a person who yeah, actually so, is like, caring Yeah, so like they helped me. me. They helped me, and they gave me a roof. They gave me a bed. They gave me my own space. And a couple days goes by, and my partner is like, So I can't afford to live down here on my own. I'm going back home. Do you want to come with me? And because I hardly knew the people I was staying with and because I was so young and afraid and (laughs) skittish and just didn't know what was going on, like, yes, I decided to go back home and like, like drive back home in the car. So So road trip back home. So you went back with this guy. Yes. So the person who... Threw you out, all that stuff, mm-hmm. stole your money, did mm-hmm. the factory reset your phone. Did you, was it because you just wanted to get home? I think so. Okay. Like I said, I think I was just, like looking back, I probably, it would have been better for me to stay you know, when you're ready. Okay, we're good. So we ended up back together and basically leaving Florida, we kind of left in the evening and drove through the night and talked things out ended up back together and started living back at his dad's house again. But I guess we'll save that for episode three. Things somehow got much, much worse. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) so, okay. So we're almost out of time here. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we'll set that up, but I'm curious, like, so you had this long drive home from Florida to Ohio Mm -hmm. and he somehow was able to say the right words to get you to look past him throwing all your stuff in the yard and factory resetting your phone, isolating you, all the toxicity that he gave you, he was able to smooth that over. And I know I've seen, I've read about this. I've read, I've read people's stories. Um, these guys, they can, they can do the worst things and then they can just say like, they can cry or get you Mm -hmm. flowered. They have ways of just manipulating, getting their way back in. Manipulation is a huge thing. And then on top of that, he knew about, how I grew up and that I didn't have a father and then that when I did have a father how all of that worked and how twisted my perception of what a man in my life should be so he was able to weaponize that against yeah I feel like he was able to comprehend it and use it against me for what he wanted wow well if there's any ladies listening to this like you deserve oh, better. Yes, for real. And, like, learn from this. Like, Please. That's don't rough. do it the hard way like I did. That's rough. Yeah, you're worth more than that. Absolutely. I tell girls that a lot at school, especially when I hear them listening to that rap music that's, like, oh, objectifying So degrading. Them. I'm always like, what are you doing? You're worth more than that. Mm-hmm. You're not just an object. 
So, okay, so wow. So it sounds like it's going to get even worse. <laughs> so um, we'll wrap this up here because we're at about 40, 43, 44 minutes, something like that. Um, and obviously there's going to be a part three to this. And We um, have like eight more years to cover. So Wow. So <laughs> we'll see. I don't, I don't know if we want this to be like a four-part thing. I mean, maybe we can wrap it up in part three. We'll see where it goes. But, um, I mean, it's interesting so far. And, again, as I mentioned in part one, like the reason we're doing this it's a lot of downer stuff. I mean, it is, but I promise there is so much growth and so many learning experiences that come from this. Yeah. I have overcome so many things and experienced so many things, but come out the other side as a good, honest, decent human being. And I love myself and I advocate for people to love themselves. And that's, that's the whole point of this. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this whole podcast is about growing and learning and overcoming and like, um, just trying to become better. So, um, that's why I, I know you now, Tay, and I know that you're just, you're very well balanced. You're very wise. And it's because of the stuff you've been through, you mm -hmm. survived it and you learned from it and you're continuing to grow. So I know it's a lot to listen to, but if you just, if you just hang on with me, there's definitely a lesson or two or three to be learned. I promise. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, if you can overcome this adversity, then I can overcome whatever, my insecurity about talking to people in a group or whatever the <laughs> heck I got going on. All right. Well, this has been episode nine. And uh, stay tuned. There'll be more of these in the future. See you guys later.